time that MFA sends investigators into a factory farm or a slaughterhouse, they emerge with shocking images of blatant animal abuse. It is essential to show the public exactly how farmed animals are treated, both on factory farms and in slaughterhouses, so that people can make informed decisions about what they want to support and what they don't want to support. Our investigators serve as the eyes and ears for the consuming public, who are kept largely in the dark on sort of egregious abuse. The average consumer can see how powerful it is to go vegetarian. Mercy for Animals investigations have propelled legislative efforts as well as corporate policy reforms and millions of Americans to examine and reflect on their food choices. And that is just a snippet about uh, Mercy for Animals undercover investigations. Well, undercover investigations which expose animal abuse is our topic for this morning's Justice or Just Us. We'll take a particularly, look, a particularly close look at uh, MFA's most recent undercover investigation of uh, Conklin Dairy Farms located in Plain City, Ohio. Well, exposing the harms of the meat and dairy industry is nothing new to this program, but focusing on the very tactic of undercover investigations is new to the program, and it's our topic for this morning. Uh, we will discuss how Mercy for Animals in particular identifies sites for investigations, how the investigators are able to maintain their cool while witnessing animal abuse, and perhaps most importantly, how activists can share this shocking footage with sympathetic friends and family members without alienating them. Uh, I am joined by uh, Matt Rice, who is the New York Campaign Coordinator for Mercy for Animals. Uh, he works organizing events and campaigns and coordinating volunteers throughout New York City and New York State. He's a former United States Marine and holds a Bachelor of Arts in Biology and Anthropology from the University of Colorado in Colorado Springs. And Matt joins us this morning, uh, I think, on the road. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us this morning. Uh, I don't know if congratulations are in order, but great work that uh, Mercy for Animals has yet again done exposing uh, animal abuse through undercover investigations. Um, maybe we should begin. Thank you. Yeah, maybe we should begin by telling our listeners a bit about these undercover investigations without giving away these uh, all the, the secrets that allow this great work to happen. Uh, exactly what are these undercover investigations and how does MFA choose these the sites? How do you find out, you know, is it is it random? Do you get inside tips? How does this all work? Well, you know, we've all seen the ads on TV and billboards, you know, claim, marketing claims from animal agriculture industries, things like, you know, good cheese comes from happy cows in California. Um, but we feel that the consumers have a, a right to know what really happens to animals on uh, farms and in slaughterhouses before they end up on, on our plates. And so that's why we feel these investigations are so very important to pull back the curtain on animal agriculture and give people an insider's look 
on, on how animals are really treated in these places. And so our investigators, uh, typically that what is done is these facilities are chosen completely at random. Um, we want to give a, a, an accurate view of, of what's happening across the board in, in um, animal agriculture, in milk, meat, and egg production in every state. Um, so our our investigators work to get jobs at these facilities, um, usually as maintenance workers or, or other some type of low-level employee. And then what they do is they go to work every day wired with a pinhole-sized hidden camera and basically document what they see. Um, they, As Nathan said in the um, clip that you just played, they serve as the eyes and ears for the public um, so that we can uh, show people what's, how animals are really treated in, in uh, modern farms. So I think it's important then to emphasize that they these sites are selected randomly because it's it's common to hear folks who uh, eat meat or consume dairy that, well, you know, of course, one could could always find a, you know, a bad apple, quote unquote. You know, we hear that if we're talking about cops who are involved in excessive force or rogue soldiers or, you know, oil companies that uh, can't seem to get the drilling right or whatever it might be. But these are selected randomly. They are selected randomly, and I think it's also important for people to realize how difficult these investigations are. Uh, they're difficult to access these places. Um, the industry is on high alert. They know that there are undercover investigators out there trying to infiltrate their uh, facilities and, and document what's going on. So they're looking for that. So it's difficult to get into these places. It's expensive. It takes time and resources to do these investigations, and it's dangerous for our investigators. If they're exposed, um, their lives could be at stake in some of these cases. So um, it's difficult to get in there. So what we found is there's, you know, there's every time that we go into one of these facilities, we're able to document instances of extreme cruelty to animals, either systematic cruelty um, that's just a part of standard practice in the farming industry. Um, but also we're often almost always able to find instances of egregious cruelty, as was seen in this case at Conklin Dairy Farms in Ohio, where workers were seen punching and kicking uh, young calves in the face, uh, using pitchforks to stab them in the face, legs, and stomach, and other egregious cruelties that um, most people are, are, are shocked and horrified when they see, but unfortunately is a reality on these farms. So um, it, it simply wouldn't be practical for us to uh, have investigate go through the time and expense and risk of having investigators do this type of work if, uh, if, if it wasn't resulting in, in, um, in, in any type of uh, meaningful uh, cruelty. So what, we're, what, we're, what I'm trying to say is basically is that um, it's a difficult job, it's difficult to get into these places, and the fact that every time that we go in we see this, uh, this type of cruelty leads us to believe that this is widespread within the industry. And in often cases, um, the practices that you see in these investigations are not only um, standard industry practice and legal, they're defended by the industry. Hmm. We're speaking with Matt Rice. He's the New York Campaign Coordinator for Mercy for Animals. We're talking about the uh, the chilling undercover footage uh, of the Conklin Dairy Farms uh, in Plain City, Ohio, that uh, has made the news this week. You know, one of the things that you had said is that it's it's difficult, certainly, for the undercover investigators to uh, get into these uh, meat or dairy farms. 
But is it difficult to get jobs at these facilities? I mean, when one looks at the the video, which we'll, we'll get into some of the, 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 the more descriptive specifics, but when one looks at it, it, it looks as if they will hire any Tom, Dick, or Harry uh, off the street who who can basically, you know, shovel uh, manure or hay or, or whatnot. I mean... Are there any kind of standards for hiring with uh, jobs where people working are working with animals? Well, certainly, and these are these are low skill jobs. They're not looking for any qualified people. They're looking for anybody who's willing to uh, muck out a barn and do the dirty work. And in animal agriculture, in slaughterhouses and factory farms. Um, you can see some of the highest turnover rate. These are not jobs that most people want to do. Um, so in that case, it is difficult for them to find people who are actually willing to do this work. Um, and, and so they will take uh, anyone. But what they're looking for uh, a lot of times at these places is they're looking for uh, animal rights activists, people who are um, going to expose what's going on behind the closed doors. And that's why it's difficult for us to, to often get our employees into these places. So... But um, but once we are, every single time we're able to document egregious cruelty to animals. You know, uh, this is something I, I didn't share with you uh, when we spoke uh, off the air. But uh, when I was a teenager, I had an after-school job uh, working at a local pet store in uh, one of the uh, you know shopping malls where you know you've got the little puppy in the window and so forth, and. Uh, that was really my first exposure to the amount of cruelty in the animal uh, industry. We can't call it anything other than, than a business, the animal industry. And, uh, you know, there were some people that I worked with. You know, it was a minimum wage job. And uh, there were some people who were incredibly sadistic. So uh, when you emphasize that these are behaviors that could be found, uh, maybe not to the extreme in this particular video, but uh, I have seen things like this firsthand, and it, it really is uh, unfortunate that uh, this kind of behavior is not only allowed and tolerated, but that there there really isn't much screening for people who are going to be working with uh, living sentient beings. That's true, and you know these industries actually breed that type of behavior. If you put yourself in the shoes of a farm worker or a slaughterhouse worker. Um, it, it takes a certain kind of individual to go to work every day and uh, and kill animals on a slaughterhouse floor or to cram animals into tiny cages where they can't even turn around uh, for their entire lives. Um, it takes a certain kind of individual to, to go to work, to, a certain type of psyche for somebody to go to work every day and do that. That's one of the reasons these jobs have such high turnover rates. Um, but also you think about it. When you're in these facilities, these animals are fighting back. They don't want to go to the kill floor. They don't want to be crammed inside a tiny gestation crate. Um, you know, so they're often fighting against the workers. And uh, uh, in many cases, of course, the workers become irritated. They become frustrated with the animals. Um, and if you talk to uh, factory farm workers or slaughterhouse workers, they will tell you that they've they have to learn to hate the animals in order to continue going to work every day, doing what they need to do in order to bring these animals, uh, uh, raise them and, and kill them so that they can sell them. 
Uh, and so it breeds a certain type of mentality where people grow to hate the animals, and um, that's the type of psychology that develops that allows them to carry out these abuses and, and is one of the reasons why this type of abuse is so widespread and common in the industry. Matt, I think that's a, an excellent point that um, actually uh, is really illustrated in the Conklin Dairy Farms video where we see uh, two workers in particular uh, saying over and over again, I didn't want to have to hurt you, but, you know, you're not listening to me. And, of course, they're using far more colorful language. But uh, when the animals resist we see the workers, not always. I mean, there are, there are clearly some acts of, of sadism, but um, maybe share with our listeners in, in a bit more detail exactly um, what the workers were found doing in this, this Conklin uh, Dairy Farms video, because I, I do think that it really illustrates your previous point about the animals um, resisting. Sure. Well, and it's difficult to, to adequately explain what's happening in the video with words, so I do encourage your listeners to go to our website, mercyforanimals.org, and see for themselves uh, what's happening at Conklin Dairy Farms and what's happening at, at uh, dairy farms and other farms across the country. Uh, but in this case, uh, what we were able to document was uh, workers uh, punching and kicking calves in the face, body slamming them to the ground, pulling them and throwing them by their ears, uh, they were using pitchforks to stab cows in, in the face, legs, and stomach. And these were cows who were restrained. They had nowhere to go, no way to defend themselves. They were breaking uh, the bones in cows' tails in order to get them to move into their stalls. Uh, they were using, um, uh, you know, bragging about this in many cases, bragging about punching and kicking animals, uh, drowning animals, and bragging about beating animals to death. And in some cases, um, we were able to document the owner of the farm himself um, not only participating in the abuse, but condoning it. And one scene that we have on our website, you can see the owner of uh, Conklin Farms, uh, his name is Gary Conklin, um, repeatedly kicking a downed cow, a cow who's too sick or injured to stand, in the face and the neck in order to get her to stand up. Of course, she was unable to. Um, and then he instructed workers to, to do the same. Uh, so it, it really does illustrate a, a culture of cruelty in the industry, uh, what workers are, are become whenever they're forced to, um, to make animals, especially large animals, 1,800-pound uh, cows, um, do things that they don't want to do, force them into tiny pens, force them into milking stalls, force them into the slaughterhouse kill floor. Um, these animals will fight back, and they, the workers often become frustrated and angry, and they take it out on the animals. I didn't realize that was the owner in that that one uh, segment of of the clip, which I suppose is even even more shocking. Um, when when people say things like, um, "Well, animal abuse isn't widespread," I mean, if if you're the owner of a farm, you've got a vested interest in making sure that the animal is is healthy and uh, well cared for. How do you respond to to that kind of questioning? Well, to, to start with, I think that it's a good sign that, that people out there want to believe that this is isolated abuse. I think the fact that people are shocked by this um, is, is a good sign that, that most people care about uh, what's happening to animals. Um, so, so that's a good start. And so the way that I usually address these is, is I treat these people as potential allies. You know, they're people who don't support cruelty to animals. Um, 
And so if we treat them as potential allies, they're much more likely to listen to what we have to say versus if we treat them as uh, enemies or as uh, participants in the abuse that you, you know, words like you are responsible for this every time you, you eat cheese. Um, usually sends up pe- people into defensive mode. Now they have to defend their actions, and people who are otherwise reasonable somehow sometimes become unreasonable in defending their their own actions. So I think it's useful to um, to put people at ease, um, make them realize that we're all on the same side here. Nobody condones cruelty to animals, and then calmly explain the facts. Um, and in, in many cases, you're simply able to explain the facts that. Um, in animal agriculture, there are inherent cruelties. Um, in, in dairy production, for example, um, cows, like any other mammal, including humans, only produce milk when they're pregnant or nursing. So they're kept in a constant cycle of impregnation, which means there are a lot of baby cows born. And what do they do with those baby cows? Well, oftentimes they're sold for veal production or, um, or for beef right away. They're dragged away from their mothers put into tiny little stalls and fed a milk replacement so that all of the mother's milk can be sold for profit. Um, so when you start to explain the facts and the, the reality to people as if uh, these people are potential allies, they oftentimes uh, will, will listen uh, a lot better. And then another tip I have is to ask questions. Ask people how they feel about these things. Get them talking. Get them thinking about these issues on their own. People are much more likely to um, to, uh, you know, take this message seriously if they feel like they came to the conclusions on their own versus being uh, lectured to or, or told what to do. That's an excellent point. I mean, it's it's the Socratic method in action, I suppose, where, you know, the person is naturally led to uh, a particular conclusion rather than, you know, having the conclusion forced on them. Right. And, and, you know, it's interesting because, uh, you know, when I talk to students, students don't need to be convinced that there's child labor uh, in this world or that there are sweatshops where workers, you know, um, are are put in, you know, dangerous working conditions, long hours and, uh, you know, just physically grueling. But when it comes to animals, everybody wants to imagine old McDonald's farm. You know, well, if people right. if people will exploit humans, what makes us think that animals are, you know, the, the exception to the rule when it comes to business? And that's a good point. And, and this, I, I think another point to make to people is that this is a business. People are, the, the bottom line is profit. And um, they're trying to maximize profit, and it often comes at the expense of animal welfare. You hear farmers say, you know, they have to treat their animals well to make them productive. But the reality is is that they are um, – it's, it's a profit-loss equation. For example, in the egg industry, farmers are, realize that they can um, make more money by cramming five to seven egg-laying hens inside a cage the size of a filing cabinet drawer. Uh, in these types of conditions, the birds become very frustrated and often peck at each other. Um, and so to prevent – pecking deaths, um, rather than give them more space, they simply cut the tips of their beaks off with a hot blade. And of course, that makes it difficult for the birds to eat. Some of them starve to death. But the industry sees it as a profit-loss equation. They know they can make more money by shoving uh, more birds into less space and losing a percentage of them than they could if they gave the animals more space. So they're looking at the bottom line of profits, and the animal welfare comes second at best. Speaking with Matt Rice, the New York campaign coordinator uh, for Mercy for Animals, we're talking about undercover investigations and in particular 
the uh, newly released footage of uh, Conklin Dairy Farms in Ohio. Earlier in the broadcast, you had mentioned that uh, these undercover investigations are uh, certainly costly and uh, come at high risk. Well, all of this begs the obvious question, uh, aren't government agencies supposed to be doing this kind of uh regulation and uh, what are the agencies and are they doing them and uh, if not why not well you know that's a good question and a lot of people believe that the government is uh, would prevent this type of cruelty but the, the the simple fact is is that there are no federal laws to protect farmed animals during their lives on the farm and most states specifically exempt farmed animals from anti-cruelty laws um, so there are simply in many cases no, the, what's happening in these videos is perfectly legal, and it's uh, considered standard practice. Um, so uh, that's why it's important for um, groups like Mercy for Animals to have investigators go in, document these abuses, and show them to the public. Um, doing this, we're not only able to raise awareness uh, and get people to remove their support from these industries by adopting a, a vegan diet, um, but we're also able to push for more laws, more regulations to help protect the animals who are in these situations. Uh, for example, um, our recent undercover investigation of Willet Dairy, the largest dairy in New York State, um, prompted uh, New York State legislators to uh, propose a bill to ban tail docking, which is a standard practice on dairy farms where they cut through uh, a cow's tail, through the nerves, skin, and bone without any painkillers. Um, our investigation at Norco Ranch, an egg farm in California, um, helped uh, was one of the investigations that helped to pass Proposition 2 in California, which uh, which eliminates battery cages uh, for egg-laying hens, gestation crates for breeding sows, and veal crates for, uh, for calves. So these types of investigations not only raise awareness uh, among the public, but it can help us as a society push for stronger regulations, stronger laws to protect farmed animals at the same time. And just to clarify, when you say that what occurs on these videos is completely legal, you're referring to the farming practices as opposed to some of the, um, ex I don't want to use the word exceptional because we're suggesting that it's far more common, but certainly there's nothing legal about body slamming a, a calf or things of that nature, but the, the um, you know, the tail dockings and the removing of the beaks and the things of that nature is what you're referring to as being legal. Is that is that correct or... In, in some cases, I'm, I'm referring to both, um, and, and it often depends on the state and the county, and it depends on the type of animal being abused. Uh, for example, um, with the exception of a few states now that have banned battery cages, um, chickens have no legal protection whatsoever. And in many states, it's perfectly legal to do whatever you want to a chicken. And so workers who were documented pulling the heads off of live chickens, spitting tobacco down their throats, spray painting their eyes, throwing them out into the freezing cold to freeze to death, um, these 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 people were uh, were acquitted. They were they were found not guilty of any crimes because chickens have no rights whatsoever so are, in, in many places in this country. So are they considered property under the law? Well, yes, all of these animals are considered property, and that's one of the problems. Uh, whenever um, living beings are considered property, it's the property owner 
who holds all of the power. They they have all of the rights and the and the rights of the property in this case animals. In the past, the case of slaves uh, in this country um, had had no rights or very limited rights, um, and so abuse was um, commonplace. So I want to turn uh, in the time we have left to um, you know how to share this this information with others. But before I do, if you could just tell our listeners. What happens to the investigators after uh, their job is uh, uh, their job is done? Do they suffer, you know, psychological, uh, you know, is is there a recovery period? I mean, it must be incredibly difficult to uh, you don't even need to be an animal rights activist to just witness these kinds of things and then go on as if, you know, nothing happened. What? uh is there any any kind of debriefing or recovery period, or I, I don't know if the question makes sense, but um, if you could talk a bit about the toll that this kind of work has on the uh, the undercover investigator. Well, I think I think it's fair to say, and most people agree that the people who do these investigations are true heroes. It takes a special kind of person to be able to to go to work every day and document this type of cruelty uh, and to persist. And you think about it, the fact that these investigators are oftentimes in small rural communities um, hiding their true um, identities. Of course, they give their real names uh, when they're applying for these jobs, but, you know, they're not talking about their real lives, so they're not really making friends in these communities while they're there. So it's very isolated um, and, and um, difficult for our investigators to, to carry out this work. And in many cases, investigators are simply unable to do more than uh, a few investigations, if, if more than one. Um, it, it does take a huge psychological toll on them, and many of them do have uh, psychological counseling to help them cope with what they've seen. But I think that um, in, in the case of um, many investigators I've spoken with, and uh, as, as with many animal activists who witnessed uh, cruelty to animals uh, firsthand or on a regular basis, one of the things that helps people get through this is uh, is activism, is uh, the fact that we are making progress, the fact that we are changing laws, we're changing hearts and minds in society, and we are pushing for a better world. Um, and so that, that thought alone, I think, helps to, uh, to make the work more endurable. Hmm. Okay, so uh, I had an opportunity to speak to you briefly off the air, and I shared with you that I've got a lot of family and friends who... Um, care about animals, give to all of the mainstream, uh, quote unquote, you know, the humane societies and the ASPCAs and so forth. But whenever I try to share with them information about the meat or dairy industry, uh, friends and family often refer to these video clips as, quote unquote, snuff films. I remember wanting to uh, accompany a friend to go see uh, The Cove, and the friend said that uh, she didn't care to see snuff footage. And I thought the, the very fact that we're referring to, or, or some people refer to these, these uh, video clips as snuff, should suggest that dramatic or drastic steps need to be taken, though I don't consider a vegan diet drastic or dramatic by any stretch. My point is, or my question is, how can activists share this footage, um, which again can be accessed at uh, mercyforanimals.org? How can activists share this footage without alienating 
otherwise sympathetic uh, animal welfare advocates. I mean, before oh, you had ta- before you had talked about you know um, questioning and and letting you know letting the person you know come to the conclusion on his or her own. But when you've got footage, you know, how do you get someone to agree to sit down and watch it? Right, and it's a very good question, and. You know, it can become frustrating when people say that they care about animals and they don't want to support their abuse, but then will refuse to um, see what's happening to these animals and continue to, uh, uh, you know, pay for their abuse every time they sit down to eat. Um, It's a difficult situation. It can become very frustrating. I think uh, we as animal advocates um, need to know a little bit about human psychology in order to deal with these situations and to uh, have patience. Um, as I mentioned before, uh, one of the one of the things I, I think is important is to treat these people as potential allies. They obviously express concern for animals. Um, they don't want to watch animals being uh, uh, treated cruelly or killed. So that shows that they do care. Um, and so we need to treat them as potential allies in order to to reach them. Um, I have some tips I can give you, um, but before I do that, I, I want to um, mention uh, one thing that I've known has worked for many um, people I know, especially with their family members, and I, I call it creative gift request. So your birthday or Christmas or what, whatever gift-giving occasion uh, you might celebrate, um, ask your family members or your friends, you know, watch this video, watch uh, Meet Your Meat or Earthlings or this undercover video or even just read this book, uh, Animal Liberation or Food Revolution or some book that you feel is um, is going to reach that individual um, for my birthday. As, instead of giving me a present, do this. And you'd be surprised how many people have been able to reach their, their loved ones this way. Um, say, you know, watch this video for my birthday and then have a discussion with me about it afterwards. Um, it's it's a very powerful way to get people. They feel obligated. They want to they want to do something for you, and this is this is one way that they can show that they love you, and and show that what is important to you is also important to them. That's a great uh, great tip. Now, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you you run a seminar or a class on um, how to talk to people about uh, animal welfare issues. Did I hear correctly? Right about. About twice a month in, in New York um, at our New York Advocacy Center, I give a talk on effective um, advocacy. Um, it's a rather long talk. I don't know if I could go over all of it here, but I can, I can touch on some of the, the basic points, uh, some of the tips that I have for people. And this applies to almost any situation whenever you're talking about um, veganism or animal rights issues with, with people. And so, you know, one of the first tips is, is, is pretty obvious. It's to be polite. Um, if you if you express anger or um, resentment or these types of behaviors often get people their defenses up. Now they feel like they have to defend their behaviors and they 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 put up walls of resistance against your message. So it's better to be calm and polite and stick to the facts and treat people um, as potential allies. So that's the first tip. Um, next tip is to start a conversation with somebody. People don't like to be lectured to or um, or told what to do. Um, so it often works better to, to start a conversation with them um, and get them thinking about these issues on their own. And a good way to start a conversation with somebody is, uh, first, whatever, whatever response they have initially to, to the topic, is, is the first tip is to affir- reaffirm that response. Make them feel better about what they just said. Um, 
even if even if you disagree with what they said. So, for example, somebody might say, you know, I don't want to watch this snuff film, I, or I can't stand to watch cruelty to animals. You know, you, you say that's a, that's a natural reaction. Um, or if they say something like, I think this is an isolated incident. This doesn't happen all over the all over the place. You say that's um, that's a good question. A lot of people have. Um, and I can understand why you'd want to believe that. And then you can go in, see how you reaffirm, made them feel better about their statement. And then you go into the facts and you tell them about how every time investigators go into these facilities, they're able to document extreme cruelty to animals. How many times um, do investigators have to come up with these types of videos? There are literally dozens, if not hundreds, of videos online where you can see these types of cruelties. How many times? does it take before you would see you would say that there's a pattern here and you see how i ended the conversation that that bit part of the conversation with a question right it leaves them this something not to only think keeps about the conversation going um but it gets people thinking about these issues on their own um rather than you providing the answers for them they're now providing their own answers once they're thinking about it more hmm. well matt rice we will have to have you back to uh to talk a bit more about uh some of these tips, but uh, I want to give you uh, the last opportunity to share with our listeners a bit about the work that Mercy for Animals does and give listeners uh, some uh, websites or, inf- or uh, addresses on where to find out more about Mercy for Animals. Sure. Well, our, our primary website is mercyforanimals.org, and right now it um, the, the homepage redirects to our most recent undercover investigation at Conklin Dairy Farms. Um, but if you go to the to the bottom of that page and, and click the the Mercy for Animals logo, it'll bring you to our normal web page, where you'll be able to see um, all of the different um, campaigns that we have in order to help animals. Investigations is just one part of the work that we do. We also do uh, grassroots activism in the form of um, tabling events, leaflettings. Um, we do humane education in schools, elementary schools, high schools, and colleges. Um, library outreach. Um, at restaurant outreach where we encourage restaurants to add vegan options to their menu. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, we were able to get um, some pizza places in New York to add vegan cheese to their menu. Uh, just last year, we were able to convince Boca, the meatless meal provider, to remove all eggs from all of their products. Um, and so we, we work in a variety of ways. We work uh, in investigations to expose uh, the cruelties uh, on modern farms, but then we also work uh, in grassroots vegan outreach efforts to uh, urge consumers to make changes in their lifestyles, urge the industry to um, remove their support from animal agriculture, and to push for legislation to provide more protection for farmed animals during their lives on the farm. And the website is mercy for for spelled out animals.org. Uh, really a great organization. I'm, I'm proud to be uh, a supporter, uh, both through donations and through this kind of uh, publicity and exposure. So, uh, Matt Rice, I want to thank you so much for joining us this morning. And just as a footnote, one of the individuals uh, seen in the video was arrested yesterday? He, uh, he was. He was arrested and um, brought up on... Um 12 counts of uh, animal cruelty charges. Um, he was arraigned this morning uh, a $100,000 uh, $100, bail, um, which I don't believe he's made just yet. 
Um, but each of these um, counts of uh, animal cruelty in the state of Ohio is, is a misdemeanor. Um, but each count um, could carry as much as 90 days in jail and a $750 fine. Well, again, congratulations on uh, really exposing uh, animal abuse, not only in Conklin Dairy Farms, but uh, elsewhere. And uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. No problem. I appreciate you having me on. Take care. And uh, we will be back in just a minute. It's KUCI's Justice or Just Us.